Hi everyone, my name is Hugo Prince. I'm the host of the Road to the IPO podcast. Uh, I don't want to take that much of your time, but I just want to let you know there are some changes on the podcast. Uh, the first one is that when I started the Road to the IPO podcast, I wanted to become an entrepreneur. I wanted to learn from them, so I started interviewing them. But now I want to expand the conversation with other successful people that, that are not entrepreneurs, like artists, musicians, and influencers. So I just want to let you know that the podcast is going towards that direction, but I will still continue interviewing entrepreneurs for sure. The second one is that if you want to look for the podcast now, you can look it under my name, Hugo Prince, H-U-G-O Prince. Why did I decide to do that? Is because now I have another show, Influence Me, a podcast about marketing and social media, which is available in French and English. So if you want to look for the Road to the PO or Influence Me, you can look it under my name, Hugo Prince, available on all platforms, of course, like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And the last one is that the Road to the IPO is not available in three languages. Yes, three languages, French, English, and Spanish. So I started interviewing people in Spanish because I just wanted to keep growing my network, but also bring you the most value. So if you understand those three languages, that's great. If not, you can always listen to the Road to the IPO in your favorite language. So I don't want to take that much of your, of your time. Thank you for listening and let's start the show. Welcome to the Road to the IPO podcast. Um, this is a special uh, episode because I'm at home. Usually we are with our friend of Cabinet Network in the studios and with Nicolas Sotomayor, a techni technician. But today I'm at home because of the COVID-19 situation and no choice. I have, to, I have to continue doing podcasting at home. And today's guest is very special. I have Matika Trichon, entrepreneur and financial educator. Hey, Matika, how's it going? I'm good. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so well, much. Well, at home. I like with um, you doing this exchange. <laughs> yeah, everyone is at home right now. No choice. Yeah. We need to stay in quarantine. <laughs> It, it is an interesting time for yeah, sure. It is, it is. Um, for those who don't know you, can you introduce a little bit about yourself? I'm a financial educator and I've been in, in the financial space for about 10 years now. Yes. I know I look really 29. So I started my financial journey and education, if you will, when I was about 13 years old. Okay. When I started getting in the investment world, um, obviously I had an amazing mentor, which was my father at the time, who as soon as I got my first job washing dishes at Pizza Hut <laughs> um, at 13, they were paying me under the table, so I wasn't like supposed to be. Uh, but I, I started earning some money, and then he started straight away teaching me how to, to invest and all yes. that, and I got really fascinated by, by this space really young. So yeah. I've also studied in finance. I did my degree in university here in Montreal and, my, and majored in finance. And then my first corporate jobs were in, I worked for a broker for some time and then for the government in, in economic development, which we were basically reestablishing businesses to make okay. them profitable, the ones who were governmentally owned. Yes. So I've had um, different experiences with, with, with the finance space and I love this space much and I'm a huge advocate for, for financial education for many, many reasons that I'm sure we'll, we'll get into in a little bit. I think I was looking at your uh, your Instagram and everything. I think you're from, are you from Saskatchewan or you were born in Quebec? Uh, no, so I was actually born in Alberta and then moved here to, to Montreal when I was about six, but my dad yeah. is from Manitoba. Okay, Manitoba. So maybe that's why you 
pictures from out there, yeah. Like from the west of Canada. Like yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I saw that you were a fan of the of the Raiders from the CFL, Canadian Football League. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the, the Rough Riders. So my dad was actually born and raised in Saskatchewan. Okay. So yeah. uh, from like from farm, his parents had a farm. So I've only been to a couple Saskatchewan games, but yeah, he's a huge fan. So obviously. I am too. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about your dad. Your dad has uh, sent you a younger, give you good habits about financials. He, he gave you an advice that say you can make a dollar and spend two. Then that's one of the best advice you, somebody else has given you, no? Yes, I love that you, you brought that up because I did that in a social media post. But yes, that was kind of, you know, when, when I was starting out, he was really educating me in obviously terms that I could relate to and understand. And that's something that he always would say, you can make a dollar and spend two and expect to get ahead. And I feel like it's so simple and it's, it's a truth that many overlook. Um, but it really does boil down to exactly that. You, um, you can't live beyond your means and, and, okay. and expect to build any sort of wealth long-term. So you start like uh, getting a financial education like at 13. So it was mostly because of your dad. He wanted to instill that younger, Is that right? Yeah, so um, my dad's had an interesting journey throughout his careers and, and he's have obviously had, you know, low points and high points like, yeah. like many of us. And I think that he was always really... Um, because he had started so late. So my dad started really investing when he was like in his forties. Yeah. And so he had seen the value in it and obviously wanted to, to pass that on to me. And, and especially when I was so young, he was like, this is like the best time to learn. And, yes. and it really is. And I, he still continues to teach me even today. And okay. I've been introduced to, to the right people quite young as well. Like my broker that I've also worked for that yeah. whole team at that office have been amazing mentors for me. Um, when I was in my early twenties, I was working with them. So, well, I started at 13, like more of it, like a client, small okay. client, but then after early, my early twenties, I was working for the office. So okay. that whole team has taught me so much, um, in regards to wealth creation. And it's such a small community where my dad lives. So there's a lot of people you know, and, and okay. it was just interesting to see some of the people locally, the wealth that they had built and then also being able to go to the pub and, and sit down and kind of ask questions about business, right? Okay. Um, and then seeing, I, I guess there's many things that I've learned, but also mostly it comes down to habits. And I feel like the people that I've noticed that had cultivated the most amount of wealth really had um, interesting habits in terms of, of their finances. Yes. Well, your story reminds me of the, of the I don't know if you read, for sure you read the Wish, wish, wish That, Paul That. So, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's always similar that the fact that Rory Kiyosaki, had he, he went to meetings, meetings with his rich dad, you know, he was surrounded by bankers at a young age with entrepreneurs. So it, I think it's the same, similar story with you. Yes, exactly. Like when, when he says that he had his dad and then his rich dad, yeah. um, that was the entrepreneur and the wealth creator and then yeah. kind of going back and forth between those two. Yeah, it feels very similar. It's interesting that you mentioned that because I'm actually reading right now. I don't know if you've read this one from Robert Kiyosaki. Fake, fake? fake. 
it's really, really good. And um, yeah, it's, it's fake money, fake teachers and fake assets. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's the name of the book. It's really good. It's really good. Um, when you say that 15, did you invest in stocks? Were you allowed to invest, invest in stock at, that, at, at some, such a young, young age? Like at 15? Yeah, so um, I think that the way that they set it up, I had, uh, they, did they start the tax-free savings account at that time? I can't remember now. I think they might have piggybacked me off of my dad's account, to be fair, just because I was so young. And then after, as I got to, you know, being able to make my own decisions, they parted me away. Yeah. So we did have something set up that was just in my name and I was starting to save my own paychecks. And then I had my own a little login on the computer that I could see. And um, so this is, this is what really, so I was quite fortunate. Like I mentioned that I had a dad that has shown me the way. And one of the biggest things that he done for me that really, really helped me shape it's in my understanding really young was when I started off. So my first paycheck, actually, I spent it all on my, on clothes or dumb stuff, like a 13 year old. And so that's when <laughs> yeah, just random things. And he sat down with me, and that's when he decided he it was about time I got okay. taught, you know, the value of money. Yeah. So when so that was that summer of thirteen, I was in school. Then I came back to Montreal to go through my year of school, and then I would go back every summer to to work and okay. see my dad spend time with him in Manitoba. And that summer, he said, "Well, for every dollar that you save, I'll match it dollar for dollar." Oh, so I was like, "Oh, this is great." So, you know, I had, I think I was working at, as doing dishes the second summer as well. So I started, you know, instead of taking, let's say all of my money back home, like I had the prior year, I'd saved, you know, 80% because I was like, well, he'll match a dollar for dollar. So then I'll yeah. have more money. Yeah. So then we did that. And then the third summer I was, uh, so 15. So I decided, well, dad, this summer I'm going to get two jobs. Okay. I'm still thinking that this dollar for dollar deal is still on. So I'm getting more more work and then so we kind of did that for that summer as well so I like saved all my money and then I could start seeing how it was growing even though it was small amounts obviously yes. it was entry-level jobs at that point but I could start seeing and I was I started getting really motivated so I was saving more and leaving with less and less every year to go back home to school with just bare minimum and I wasn't getting new clothes that much for school I was already in the mindset of like well what do I actually need Yes. And then just getting the things that I actually needed and you reusing the same school supplies from the year before. So it started already cultivating um, habits and becoming aware of, of the value of money and, and how that could benefit me if it was invested rather than spent on yes. things that I didn't really need. Do you think with kids, especially because what your dad did was having like a kind of game. So I give you yeah. one dollar, I give you one. And it's also the same with when you told your kids to make their bed and you say, I'm going to give you $1 if you make your bed every day. So you think with kids, it's better to have them play with that, making like having like a, a sort of game so they can build financial habits? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that's key no matter how you do it, that it, it's about, I think, getting your kids involved in the process of what it takes to to build wealth, even if they're so young, yeah. um, and no matter what that looks like, it's, if it's an exchange for, for chores or if it's dollar dollar and let's put it in a bank so that I can actually see what that does over, 
you know, a certain period of time. Yeah. And yeah, so I absolutely think if you have a board game or whatever it is, um, I think that that's super important because it makes it really fun and it gave us something to really bond over as well, right? Yeah. Well, like Monopoly is they say is one of the best financial education games, like for real estate also. And yes. it's just a game. You can learn some stuff from it. Yes. I've never really played Monopoly, but I in Rich Dad Poor Dad, he has, he mentioned yeah. that a couple of times, but yeah. Robert Kiyosaki has his own, his own game, I think. I don't know. Yes, cash flow. Yeah, yeah. Did you buy it? Did you try it? Or like? I haven't. I probably should, though, just to, to see what it looks like. And, and maybe that's something I could keep for, for my kids at some point. Yeah. As an extra tool. Good. Um, I want to go more into your uh, uh, business world, into your business uh, time. Um, you left the corporate world to start your own business. Um, yeah. Before financial, you went to start, I think you started to do social media. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So um, kind of in transition, there's been a lot of transitional times. And this is another one right now. But yeah, so I left the corporate world and, and started my own social media thing. Mm -hmm. And I was really grateful that I've had by this was like now four years ago. And I was just really thankful that I've had the financial nest to support yes. that transition without any pressure. And it gave me a lot of space to be able to create and really lean into to growing, to growing that at that time. So yeah, I did do that for, for some time. I don't do it anymore. Um, and so yep. now I'm kind of transitioning into the financial education. So one of the great things you, you did, and there's not a lot of people that do that, they they jump into an entrepreneurship without having any really money, any uh, savings, because you had financial, good financial habits. So when you decide to leave, you already have like a, I don't understand, an emergency fund and everything. So you have money to like, to do the three, four months that you need to get business going on. So what, what can you recommend to people that are listening and watching to the podcast and say, I want to jump on entrepreneurship, but do it. Do it do I need like three months of money saving or should I just jump because there's an opportunity? Uh, that's an interesting question. I don't, I think that, you know, everyone's a little bit different. Um, you know, if, if you do have the emergency fund, gosh, that, that one's an interesting one. Cause I, for me, it worked because I had such a big, you know, investment I had started, like I mentioned when I was 13. So I think that my, my situation might have been a little bit different than, than most, but if you don't have that financial fund, I think that it would be best if you stayed in the corporate world and then you just really, really hustled and um, got income coming in from some other place to really support that transition instead of just jumping in and, and hoping that it takes off. That's what I would do. So when waiting a little bit, getting money and then maybe after, but you can, they can see. Yeah. On soften the off the, Yeah. Yeah, they can still work at, on this stuff at night, so just to, uh, to exactly yeah yeah, and still have some some stable some sort of stable uh, source of income because financial stress, in my opinion, is is the worst kind of stress yeah. Um, yeah. that there is. It's just not a fun place to be in. So if you know, depending on where you are, I, like I said, I think that maybe my situation was a little bit different um, than than most that are going to be listening to this at that time, but that's something that I would do, kind of get something stable before you transition. 
So why did you decide to become an entrepreneur? Because uh, as we know, entrepreneurship, there's a lot of risk, risk financial risk. And then you have, you, for someone that has financial, good financial habits, it's better to stay in, a, you know, in somewhere that is give you money, like uh, in a secure way, you know? So, so why did you decide to start entrepreneurship? So why? Oh, that's such a good question. I think that I, you know, for, for, I've always wanted location independence. Okay. That was something that was really big for me. And I was clear on that, right? Like from high school, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life yet, but I really do am looking for location independence. Okay. Um, just because mainly my dad lived in, out in Manitoba, all my mom's side of the family's here in Montreal. And yeah. I just wanted, I didn't want the two weeks holiday year and then not have any time to spend oh, with him okay, okay. and yeah. then also wanted yeah. to travel. So that I was always very clear on that. So when I was working at the government for the government at the time, um, I was taking this online marketing class, yes. which was on social media. Yeah. And then I was testing things out. And, and the more that I was present online, more people like that had businesses because I knew a lot of businesses yeah. sit asked me, Hey, can you give us a hand with this part? Or, and so I eventually started charging them for, for my time and, and, and the work that I was doing. And so I thought that that would be good at that time. I thought this, would, Oh, maybe this is my ticket to yes. uh, entrepreneurship and really getting that location independence that I'm, that I'm looking for. So you wanted to be more free, more flexible in your schedule. Very mobile. Yeah. That's, that was always the plan. So are your parents entrepreneurs or that entrepreneur? So my dad's in sales. Um, so he's self-employed, but within, he works in the automotive industry. Yes, yes. He's had businesses before. So he was always very encouraging, actually. This may have influenced um, where I am now, but he always said, uh, if, if you want to, you know, to be financially well, either yeah. go in sales or in entrepreneurship. From okay. his perspective, those were the two avenues that would generate income that could give me all the flexibility that I was looking for. So I think, yeah, probably he planted a subconscious seed <laughs> to either go in, in both. And it's funny because I'm in sales right now yeah. and I'm transitioning into financial education. So I'm kind of like right in the middle of those two options. Okay. He was, he so was, yeah, there was no conflict when you say to the dad, I'm going to entrepreneurship. He really, you really say go. And there was not any conflict because mostly most people have always a conflict either with the parents, the, the spouse, you know, the family around them. So when they jump into such a risky journey. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, I, I was really fortunate. And both my parents are, have been supportive and understanding of my choices, even though they don't understand it. Like social media is not something that my dad um, really even understands now, even though I've explained it to him so many different times, yes. but he's always been really like, yeah, he, he's always been a big advocate. Like, look, you only have one life. If this feels like the right move for you, then go ahead. Yes. And we're talking about that. Um, mostly when people have any rejection about entrepreneurship for the people around them, I think the number one reason is the financial risk. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I think that the financial risk associated because yeah, it's the first three, four years in pretty much every business is really, really hard. Yeah. Right. right? Um, I'm sure you know entrepreneurs and, and I've know some and, and the first few years is really difficult to yeah. to get that momentum and, and get yeah, get it to a profitable place. So 
Yeah, I think that that's a lot of people's worry is, is that financial aspect, which is why going back to financial education, if, if someone, um, you know, understands and has the right habits around money, then they're already increasing their chances of at least, you know, not going bankrupt or mm-hmm. at least having more leverage to be able to pour more into marketing to get the sales that they need to be able to be profitable. Yes. And I think that this ties in beautifully into entrepreneurship because a lot of entrepreneurs, even though, you know, they're in, in a state of, of knowledge, right? Usually entrepreneurs are, are big on education. Okay. A lot of them don't have financial education, proper financial education. No, and, and now all of a sudden, you're in a financial risk, but also you don't have the financial education to maybe, you know, alleviate some of the risk yeah. anyways associated to that aspect. So if they have like good financial habits before and then they talk with their family around them, their spouse, their, their husband, their wife, so they can, they can tell, look, we still have money. So we, I can still jump on entrepreneurship and not risk anything. So that's one of the things people should do uh, when before jumping into entrepreneurship, having this financial money there so that even the, the people around them can feel safe and relaxed. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, if, if you're single and you're in your early 20s, yeah. putting yourself all of your eggs in one basket, it's not the same thing. But if you have a family that, you know, rely on you and everything, I think to be respectful of everyone that's involved in, in the decisions that you're making one way or another, Yes, I think that would be a wise thing to do is making sure, well, if I do do this, is my family taken care of or am I completely stripping them off of all financial like <laughs> things that they, they need? They have to really, uh, really, because most entrepreneurs, they tend to just jump in and they, they want to go for the opportunity so they forget the people around them. But yeah. if, if at least you have the money so that they can feel safe if something happened, that's one of the the worries they don't they won't they won't tell you after they won't, there's they won't ask you oh there's no money there's you know because that's the number one big, uh, I think this that's the number one biggest reason that people don't go into an entrepreneurship or the family don't want them to go because of the financial risk that's associated yeah. with it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So again, like I I think money is is not necessarily the money that people need to focus on but it's also the opportunity that it creates and 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 when you have again the financial education that's required you understand that being disciplined about your finances continuously learning about it and be really clear about where you are and where you want to be yes. obviously opens up so many opportunities right yeah um like, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Like some, some entrepreneurs are remortgaging their houses to have enough cash flow to be able to sustain the business. And I'm sure some of them get successful by doing that, but it, wow, it must add a tremendous amount of yeah. pressure on, on everyone. And especially uh, in, right now during these times, when we talk about that later, but this is something that maybe a lot of entrepreneurs are thinking about to uh, really sell the houses or to remo- to do the remortgage? How do you say it? Sorry. Remortgage. <laughs> remortgage the house. Sorry about that. <laughs> but, no, no, no. Um, yeah, before we talk about that, I just want to ask you, um, what separates the, the middle class and, and, the, and the wealthy? You know, because there is, we have the poor, the, the middle class, and then the wealthy. What separates the middle and the, and the, and the wealthy? Because the poor and the wealthy, they have such a large, separation 
but the middle class in the wealthy that's not much well right now there's not much uh, separation but what what is the difference between those two well i can i can give a short answer and then i can give a long answer but i i i believe that the short answer mm -hmm. is financial education okay it makes a huge difference between the super wealthy and everybody else okay and i feel like if we we dive deeper into wealth there's two aspects to it right we have the ones who know how to create huge amounts of wealth yeah but yeah. don't have the necessary necessarily good financial management skills right yeah. and we see these with with athletes that make yeah ton of money yeah. they their careers over and they go bankrupt right broke okay so I think that in wealthy, you need both. You need to have the right management skills, which I call a good defense game around your money. Okay. And then you also need to develop a good offense game, which is how to generate more wealth and, and seize the opportunities to keep building your assets and your net worth. Okay. Okay. That's, that's so, yeah. Like you say, most athletes go bankrupt after, after the things they come. Yeah. And, and actors too, um, even dentists and, and our high educated you know, people in our, in our society struggle financially. Like it's, so even though they're, they're making the income and they have wealth in terms of, you know, what they're bringing in, they have no concept of, of really the value of it and how to manage it properly so that, that they can keep it and, and keep growing it ultimately so that they can keep um, generating more of it. Right. Yeah. So and can we learn that? Can we really uh, learn that? Because I don't think that maybe there's some people that don't get it right away, but can we learn that type of financial education? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I find there's so many good books out there. There are mentors and getting the right mentors, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there's we the financial advisors, for example, right? That's a whole, I could talk long. Yeah. <laughs> financial advisors and there are great financial advisors out there but it's also being really careful in who you're choosing to guide you and mentor you because there's a lot of fake teachers yes um and you want to make sure that you're you're asking the advice from people that have created wealth that yes. have results not someone that's just saying hey i i'm struggling to pay my own bills here but let me give you some advice on how you should be diversifying your portfolio and and um growing your assets true and talking about that because i i believe most athletes they don't want to focus on on that kind of stuff so they hire people for that so do you think that there is good use to hire people to let them manage your money or, sh or you should understand it you understand how to manage your money before hire someone else yeah I, I love that question um i think that we all have to take responsibility for our finances as i and i know that the biggest argument for people they'll say it's overwhelming finances is overwhelming yes. it's complicated i don't understand and i don't have time to learn it i'm already busy with my career i'm just going to pay someone and delegate it somewhere yeah. else and i think that um that that puts a lot of people in a vulnerable place because Number one, I would never delegate something that I don't understand. Okay, okay. And so <clears throat> I think that it's making sure that your advisor educates you, right? Not tells you what to do, but that's actually educating you so that you and me, we can make a choices for ourselves. Okay. I think that's a big difference. And, and 
and something to be careful of. And I hear this one all the time, like, oh, I have a financial advisor. Oh, I got a financial advisor. I don't need to learn this stuff. I'm like, you do. How do you even know that your financial advisor is, is making the best choices for you? Um, has results for themselves and can really guide you in a way that can, you know, I just feel like that's, um, you know, something to be very careful of. So you at least need to understand the basics of your finance. Yes. Understand the basics. I think that, you know, it's just like health, right? Like there's like pillars in our lives that are really important. Finances is one of them. It's, it, we live in an economical world. Money is a vehicle that enables us to experience things, to do things, to seize opportunities and everything. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's a worthwhile place to invest your time in to learn some of the basics okay. so that you can really be in a place, an empowered place to make the best choices for you and your financial future. Yes. Just being financial educated can make just such a big difference on where you'll be, you know, down the line and in, in the long-term future, financially speaking. And I think everyone wants to be bathing in, in prosperity and abundance yes. and, and soundness, financial soundness, knowing that they're taking care of that their kids are taken care of and whoever else is involved, right? Because it's, just, it's so important because you were talking about the pillars of life and finance, money is one of the, even if people don't want to talk about it, it's so essential because like you said, retirement, health, or just having a good life, no stress. Because not only for you, but the people around you, it affects everyone. If you're broke and you don't have money, it's going to affect your health and you can even pay stuff like good food, good stuff yeah. to eat. So, really having the time to, uh, and I think, and I believe the younger you do it, the better it is, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like the, the earlier you start and yeah, it, it really does impact all the other spheres as well. Like you mentioned, like health, like the quality of the food yeah. that you may be getting, or even if you need help in emergency or whatnot, and you need to go privately to have, to have more options to be taken yeah. care of and having your family be taken care of is really what it comes down to. Yes, options. Money gives you options and it yeah. will allow you to really, to be, to be, have a good peace of mind, you know, you don't have exactly. to a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and and being, being more in control as well to, to your options. And yeah, it's just, you know, the, like money doesn't buy happiness and that's not what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It just really gives you more op- opportunities and freedom. And, and I think that that's what we're all looking for at the end of the day, in my opinion. Okay. And also, well, you have to understand where your money goes, you know, you, like you, you were talking about this, we're talking about understanding the basic of money, but also understanding where your money goes. And maybe you have like payment that, that goes like uh, recurring payments money that you don't even see and then just takes out your money like a monthly gym membership that you don't go or Netflix uh, membership that you don't even watch. So understanding, yes. knowing where your money goes is important, right? Oh, absolutely. So this is what I'm, this is what I do. And, and for I've been doing this re- religiously for the last 10 years. Yeah. And I, maybe a lot of people don't, wouldn't adopt this strategy, but I think that this has worked really well for me and I continue to do it. And every month I go, so I pay everything with my credit card just because I like to get the points. And then I find it really easy to track every transaction that I've made in one statement. So every end of the month, I go through that statement 
and I write in an Excel sheet. I put them in the bas in certain baskets, categories, if, if you will, like groceries, eating out, um, whatever, marketing, all of that. And I, I still find okay. like things that exactly like I punched in my credit card to get that free month and then I forgot to unsubscribe and now I'm being yeah. charged for it and yeah. I don't really use it or I don't want it anymore. Yeah. Or things like Photoshop when I could be batch creating content for a year and then opting out and not having to repay a recurring fee of, for using Photoshop. Yeah. Um, just things like that. It's, it doesn't seem like much, but the devil is in the details. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing that I think that, uh, uh many miss the, is that you know the coming back to small fees like the ten dollars the twenty dollars here the five dollar latte you know yeah all the things like the small little things that really those many things add up big time and especially when you start investing it yeah. and you see how the compound effect of those small small things really add up to um it's it's pretty like eye-opening really and also because especially right now, now that you don't you stay at home, maybe you don't use those kind of stuff. Like maybe you don't, maybe you realize that you don't watch Netflix that much, or maybe you don't need that monthly. Uh, I don't know uh, for another company that you ha because we have to stay at home, so maybe you don't need to uh, still pay that that thing that you need to go out. You know, something like that. So right now to see where you where you can cut and see maybe I don't need. To watch netflix that much and maybe i can start watching youtube and something like that you know yeah exactly making small adjustments and then it, it, it makes you think too like do i really need the service am i really using it yes or yeah exactly and, and and just really being able to see like oh wow i've actually spent quite a bit of money last month on eating out maybe my objective this month is to bring that down yeah. by half or one percent at least mm -hmm. and make more meals at home so just things like that can, can, can really help. I just find putting everything on paper really gives you yeah, um, an eye-opening, like, wow, I've spent this much in a month. Like, what yeah. do I have to show for it? Did I get anything out of it? Were they necessary expenses? And how can I better optimize so that I can save more, invest more, yeah. and be off in the future? And now, uh, talking just now, because right now everyone is at home, so they want to subscribe to, and, companies are, are smart so they want to they give you free tries right now because they know they're at home so right now a lot of people are trying to look for those entertainments buying like netflix uh, amazon tv uh, membership uh, apple tv so right now they even if we stay at home we with the internet we have a lot of expenses before you used to just go out and spend that now you, you are at home and you spend that's the problem right now yeah. Right. So, so people are kind of finding other ways to spend the same. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Stay at home, you should stay at home. They say you stay at home. You don't spend anything. But now you stay at home. Then you go in, on the internet and you have all this membership, all these online de deliveries, Uber Eats. That's the kind <laughs> the restaurant is coming to the house. So <laughs> you, you, think, yeah. you think people will struggle more and more with the internet to really have to save money? Uh, you know, I, that's, I don't know really, because I'm thinking, yeah, there's still going to be the spenders for sure. But you know, if we're, we're like, we've seen, I think, I don't even know what the number is anymore, but all right, we're over a million people that have, have applied for unemployment. Right. Yeah. So I think that 
a lot of people are going to be actually pulling back in terms of, of the spending. And I think it's a good time to really give yourself that exercise of seeing, well, you know, I was, how can I live on as little as possible? That gives you a really good indicator of how much things are unnecessary that you're probably spending on, right? Yeah. So I think this is kind of forcing many people to, to really, hopefully, um, peel back some of the areas of their life, especially financially speaking, because of all the uncertainty that's going on right now, yeah. to, to be able to see like, okay, well, I have to re-establish a budget right now and I have to pay for rent and now maybe I'm only at 50% of my salary if I'm lucky enough to still have my job, so my job or some people have had their hours cut. Yeah. So kind of re-establishing a budget um, of their current reality right now. And I think that by being so minimalist is going to be a really good um, uh, probably perception of, of how much maybe they were overspending or overstretching yeah. themselves and with things that weren't really necessary. Yes, for sure. There's some people like that, they're going to re reflect into that and maybe going to minimalist. But I'm pretty sure there's other people like, we you know right now a lot of people say the time to learn is it's time to do this. There's people that, that are going to buy membership to escape and watch Netflix and just have money payments. And yeah. there's people that we say this is an opportunity to learn, but what happens with that if they're going to start buying online courses. They're going to buy stuff that, do they really need it? So there's a lot of kind of people with a lot of different mindsets. But I believe, yes. that, I believe that a lot of people in the future, because like I said, before you used to go outside and spend, now you go inside your home with the computer and it's so easy, it's just two clicks that says your credit card is saving your computer. So you don't need yeah. to see. So the, everything is online. Your, the rest one comes in your house. So I think it's so important to build financial habits, even in the online world. Yes. Yeah, the idea, you're absolutely right. I'm sure there are just going to be different people that take this, this yeah. time at home differently. Some are going to Netflix and chill all day and, and maybe <laughs> do some online shopping. And other people are going to be more productive with that time and kind of, you know, yeah, do a little spring cleaning and, and their so to speak in their virtual life not virtual yeah. life but personally whether it's finances or whatever else it is mm. um yeah i think the the if anyone is looking to get financially educated if if they want to grow their wallet their money tree and yeah. and get ahead i think that if they want to start it's really important to assess you know even if right now they're not spending outside but even going back some other months before prior to this and kind of taking a look like where was I spending my money, just assessing what, how much money was going out every month, how much money was coming in, how much am I investing of that money, how much am, are you saving, um, and just really taking a look at what that, and how does that feel, like yeah. how does it feel to, to be in that space where you might be overspending or underspending, whatever it is, yeah. and kind of ask yourself, where do I want to be a year from now, do I still want to be in the same place with a net worth that's at zero or that's hardly grown at all or do i want to see myself get ahead um so i think those are all like good questions to start if you are looking to think better yourself yeah so you can you look back and in, in the past or like the past three four months to see what's going on with your finance and you can do that with a budget a budget i think is a good tool to really to see monthly, monthly expenses and to see what you spend. And, and exactly. Yeah. But here's the problem with me. And, 
and um, because I'm a I'm an entrepreneurship, and I'm my mindset is to make more money than to uh, just cut it and try to limit myself. And I believe in my mind, maybe I have a limited belief that a budget is only meant to limit your expenses. For me, it's like make a way to have more money, not limit yourself. When I do a budget, I feel like I have to limit myself to not spend here, spend there. So my, yeah, my point is, do, do wealthy people have budgets? Do they sit down and have an Excel and say, okay, one, two millions of dollars I spent here and, and five millions of dollars I get here? Do you think, do, do they, the wealthy people have budgets? Do wealthy people have budget? I think that wealthy people have a team and they definitely have a good yeah. money manager in there. Yeah. Um, I think that I understand what you're saying. And I go back to, I think it's your perspective of what a budget is. Yeah. I always think that structure is actually freedom. Some people think it's, it puts them in a box, yeah. but when you're really like, you know, even if it wasn't a budget, but just structure, even in your day to really be able to carve out time for play and, and for other things, having a structure gives you more freedom in yeah. my opinion. So okay. knowing that budget is really just a tool to make sure that you're on track towards your financial goals, whatever that is. And that's just a supportive system for you to be able to make better investments within your own business, okay. right? Um, to maybe hire someone. So just kind of changing basically the, the perspective of what budgeting actually is. And I'm not for going into a lack mindset with, with, um, like being, I guess, really frugal. That's not where, where I'm going, but it's just yeah. being really clear. Like every purchase that I make, I make sure that it is within my values and that is fully, fully aligned. Okay. So if I'm not a hell yes to a purchase, then it's a no. Okay. And that's for everything. So if I'm going shopping for clothes, if I don't love the item that I'm trying on, okay. then it's a no, it goes back on the rack. And I, I, I promise you if everyone really does this if it's a hell yes and if, if it's not that then it's a no you'll start consuming so much less because you okay. most of the time you just realize that well i don't really need this and or i don't love it enough to to make that 100 percent commitment to it i find that to be the best strategy for myself because people don't ask questions when they buy something they just go with the the feeling so they just buy it and they don't ask, do I really need it that this coffee right now? Do I really that angry? Do I really need that clothes? Do I really need to subscribe to that membership? So they don't ask any questions. They just go in with their feelings. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. So they say, I, I, have, I should do some research on this, but we all know that most purchasing and consuming is emotionally based. Mm -hmm. Period. Emotionally based. So bringing more rationality to... to how you work with money. Um, in a, yeah. How you spend your money and everything. Like, exactly. Like you say, maybe I do have a, a limited belief with budgets. Maybe it's, it's a better way to organize my financial, my financial structure and also maybe find ways to save my money so I can invest in my, in my company. And at the same time, like with my having, making more ways to, to have my money. So, can you be used as a tool, you know? 
so I have to really welcome into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like well, welcome it in and, and find a way that you know that works. It's, it's it's a tool that works really well for me. And you know, I'm sure if you you see it and, and you do it, you'll also see, well, oh, this was it's really refreshing to see, okay, I know I'm in control of my money. Yes. I know that I've seen these weird purchases. Let me call and double check that. Yeah. yeah. Out of my credit card. Like I have a couple that I need to follow up on. I'm like, I don't remember. Yeah. Just just doing a follow up so you don't have any leaks um yes. in 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 your in your system. Good. Well before we go to the last part of the podcast, I just want to ask you where people can reach can reach out to you, what platforms are you on? Uh Instagram, it's it's just Martika at Martika Trushan. Yeah. My name and last name. And yes, I'm pretty much mostly on Instagram for all content sharing and presence. Perfect. I'm going to put all the links in the description so people can reach out to you. So I, I guess we don't have a choice to talk about the situation right now, um, the COVID-19 situation and yes. everything that go, that's going on that's going to affect us, not only in, in health, but also finance. Um, Martika, are we entering a recession right now? First of all, I want you to define what a recession is, and then we can, we, you can ask me that question. When, what is a recession? So there, there's many indicators that points in the direction of a recession. I think that we are in a recession right now. Yeah. Um, but some of those indicators are things like increase of, of unemployment. Okay. Um, it will be things like banks that are reporting people being laid on paying their credit cards or their loans. Yeah. We'll see the automotive market be more of at a standstill so people are purchasing less autom- um, vehicles, yeah. which is which is open. I'm pretty sure all vehicle dealerships are considered an essential service. Well, the only the mechanic stuff, not the sales. Like, not the sales. Okay, yeah. Mechanics, okay. So people have to go and take care of the car if something happens, so it's essential. Essential for that. Okay. Um, same thing for the housing market. When we start seeing it become at a standstill, those are all indicators of of that we're entering a recession and, and just weird consumer behaviors. Like people are a little bit more uncertain, so they are spending less. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of an indicator of, of that we're entering that, that phase economically. So a recession will mean like the, the economy is slowing down. Is that yes, the exactly. But that the, the economy is exactly, it's slowing down and yeah. It, yeah. That there's like a, a plateau that's happening. But there's no really crash. We, we, we see a crash, like really a crash, like the 2008 stock crash. So we did start seeing a crash. Uh, okay. The market has been up the last three days. It was down yesterday. Um, but before that, it went down by almost 30%. So okay. if anyone is an investor in the stock market, um, like I am, it, it was... <laughs> the first quarter has been rough. <laughs> that was a significant amount. Of, like that's a huge drop, and it is really my first recession, as I'm sure it is yours too. The, yes. the last one was in 2008, and what? I don't know how old you are. I was like 13 at the time, so I don't feel yeah, like I. Well, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're pretty young to really understand, you know, financially what that means, and will it dip down? I mean, nobody knows really what's going to happen tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. They were already saying that we would be close to a recession, but they didn't know that the pandemic would be the thing that started it off. Yes. And so will it dip down quite a bit 
in the next few days and the next week, nobody really knows. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty, financially speaking. And, you know, Justin, to, to help out the economy, said that he would put in $82 billion to support families and businesses that are closed and yeah. people are losing their jobs, that type of thing. And then the other thing, too, that I'm looking at is, well, you know, where's this money coming from, right? Yeah, that's it. That's what I want to, I want to talk because um, for sure they have to give money because there's people that need it. So 82 billion of dollars, the Canada and two trillions of dollars in the United States, which is so much, so many, so much money. So what do you think about that? The government need to give that kind of money? Well, in this situation, but is it good for the economy after? So yeah, like it, well, yeah. So people need the money. That's for sure. Um, is it good for the economy? That's where that's where I'm feeling a little bit maybe um, anxious about. Is is what is the repercussion of printing so much money? What does that actually do for us? So yes, short term, it's maybe fixing people being able to to continue to live to live and, and provide for themselves. Yeah. But what is the long-term repercussion? Because back in 2008, they have, had injected a bunch of money, right? Okay. Um, and then the economy, they just pumped it in to get the economy going again, yeah. which worked. But now it's like they kicked the can, just they just kicked the can down the line. And now here we are in 2020 with a debt increase that is huge, right? Yeah. So now they're, they're repeating the injection of money. So listen, I, I don't know what's going to come out of this. I'm hoping for the best that everything picks back up soon. Yeah. But you know, this, it's, there's just so many uncertain factors. I don't think anybody can really predict what's going to happen, how long we're going to be closed. Yeah. Are they, because I think that the cases in these states have increased quite a bit. Well, uh, the last news I hear is that Donald Trump wants to uh, reopen certain states that are not really affected to boost the economy. And they're, they're trying to figure out a way to social distance in that way. But New York, California, they're really closed down. And we see if they find a way to really open certain states to bring the economy back, it's good. But there, there's always a risk that the virus can come back. And, you know, so we'll yeah. see what's going on. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, like some say that they can have us shut down for more than an extra week just yeah. because of the, what would it would do for the economy. So will they just kind of give up and then, yeah, I don't know. Like there's just so many factors in play. We don't know, but that's a big question that I'm kind of sitting in. Is like, what are the long-term repercussions of injecting so much money in the economy? And yeah, so obviously there's, I think there's one in three businesses that can survive past the 30-day mark. I'm not sure. I think I saw that in the Globe and Mail that they were saying that. So especially, I'm definitely doing my part <laughs> to yeah. help. Yes, especially small and in, in, in medium businesses that are not adapting well and they're closing down. You already see even in the first two, three days, restaurants were closing down, say we have to fire every, every employee. And some of them are doing good with, good with delivery, but how long would this last, you know? So, yeah. yeah, exactly. But then with all this chaos and everything that's going on, there's going to be so many good opportunities as well that are going to come, come about. Like there's going to be stocks that are going to be really, really cheap that, you know, you can, you can get. And yeah, there, I think even in the housing market as well, maybe not straight away, but I think that may within eight, 12 months down the line, there's going to be some good opportunities. So it's kind of back to the financial education part is when you, 
when you have familiarity in in acid building it and stuff like that it's it's better you are in a better position to at least seize the opportunity and, and understand it when yeah. it shows up did you have like uh, uh something an emergency fund that you already built in this time of crisis it's then you have money to like for the next two three three months without worry you know yeah exactly yeah I mean, just to finish in the topic of businesses i don't know if you hear the Cirque du soleil which is a company here in canada in quebec yeah. They go bankrupt. Do you think that we need to save those kind of big companies because they they bring a lot of well, it's not even it's shiny on right? shiny on, but this is still in Quebec. And I hear that it won't be the only one, but it's a big company. Like they did it with Bombardier just recently. Do you think government should go and save those big companies that are affected by this? Because there's also the, all the small and medium businesses. Which one is better for the economy? The big one or the, all these small and medium businesses? Oh, that's a good question. And it's, yeah. it's a tough one. Like, I think that when the government says that they're going to support businesses, obviously they're not going to be able to save all of them. So yeah. what is the indicator between choosing between, you know, maybe a bigger one that employs so many more people and yeah. then a small coffee shop that maybe only have like 10 employees like yeah. how are they going to choose which one gets to live and which one will have to die off yeah because that's going to be a tough decision and and um i'm i'm not sure obviously the the logical reason would be like if we save bombardier well we're saving all these jobs which is more than the coffee shop at the corner of the street but yeah and also also the Cirque du Soleil has a name and it's well known so it's something that a lot of people are proud, so you have to take into consideration it has, it's a brand and it has like 4,700 employees, you know, and headquarters are in, in Quebec. So, yeah, because I hear, I go on social media, I was hearing a lot of comments about that. We should save the small and video businesses, we shouldn't save the, the coffee shop near and there, but the kind of yeah. big company like the Cirque du Soleil, they, were, they, they took a long time to, um, to build, and, and only, only that, they're giving a lot to the community around them because not and just like giving like uh, good stuff to the community, not only, not only just, but also like bringing people around them, you know, like volunteering, right. everything like that. So let's see, let's see. It does have a ripple effect. And then also it's, it's understand that point, but then, you know, in a big company like Bombardier, it, there's many, many shareholders that are involved. So if they go bankrupt, the financial weight on Bombardier than the man that has a coffee shop and might have, yeah, you know, yeah. the weight of the financial impact, it will probably financially, hopefully not, um, mm. maybe ruin them. Whereas someone like if they're, they're the, the business is shared between so many people, then the financial weight might not be as yes, true. difficult to, 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 to hold either way. It's not a good place to be in. And, no. <laughs> I hope everyone's uh, going to make it out okay. <laughs> so to make it out okay, you need to build an emergency fund, you know, and, and for any, any crisis. But right now with all this uh, scarcity and money, how do you build an emergency fund? Should, should you still continue to put money aside in, in the emergency fund? Because we know that this situation will be, will be redone at one point, and maybe later on there's going to be another thing. So, in right now, how can we build an emergency fund with this time of crisis? So, um, 
I mean, that will be different, obviously, for everyone, how to build an emergency fund. So if we take, so now the government's going to give, like, I think $2,000 to, yeah. to everyone. I don't know what the criteria are. Maybe if you have a family, it's a bit more than $2,000. Yeah. But j just know that the consumer is in, in power. So for people that are struggling to pay their rent, I think that there's a way to call your landlord and, and say, hey, I need to renegotiate this. I don't think I can make a month's payment right now. I just lost my job or my hours are cut in half. Like they can't throw you out on the street. No, no, I'm pretty sure in Quebec that there is a lot to protect um, the tenants. So yeah. work with the people that you maybe owe money. This is a really good opportunity to maybe renegotiate your credit card, your yeah. loans, everything like that, because the banks are going to be willing to work with you. Okay. Trust me, they're going to be hurting. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to be missing payments. So if, yeah. if you call them and, and renegotiate rates and stuff like that, this would be a good time. Yeah. Um, and, and same thing for mortgages, right? the banks are not in the business to own your home. So if, if you give them a call and, and say, Hey, I, I'm, I need you know, they obviously know what's happening. Yeah. We need to renegotiate the terms of, of the mortgage here. So I think that if, if there's a way for you to, if you're in, in a bit of a bind financially speaking and, and you're figuring out how you can make it work, then just try working with everyone around you to, yeah. to be able to make a budget and, and sustain yourself throughout this period. Um, and then for saving, if you're in a position that you can save, then I think that just by being home and not being able to necessarily shop, maybe you're doing online shopping, but maybe try to reduce all expenses and just get really lean. Just make your meals, well, obviously make the meals at home and, yeah. and, and kind of start building that emergency fund because yeah, you know, in times of crisis, this can happen anytime there can be yeah. another one. Yeah. yeah, there can be another one like like these are are obviously big circumstances, but even in our personal lives, you never know when there's going to be an emergency or, or so to speak a crisis. And I think that it's good to always have that emergency fund set there. Yeah. Um, you never know. So it's important to save even in bad times and good times. Well, if you're in bad times, you have not that much money, but at least you can put it in on the side. Because most people yeah. think is they're in a bad situation. They say I can't save. There's a lot. Of, you get a lot of that. I'm I'm really right now. I can't save. I have to pay my my stuff. So most people don't really save. Right. Mm. So that yeah, because they they're they're more in panic mode than anything, yeah. and that's understandable. Like, listen, I'm I'm in that boat too. Like I I don't have work right now, and um the first quarter in the stock market really was bad, and and so I understand and I relate to where everyone is and to have that a little bit more of a financial, like, you know, setback in, in some way, but exactly. Maybe now if you are someone that's never saved and, and now you're just figuring out how to pay your next bill or how you're going to, you know, maybe get food on the table, maybe now's the time to just sit back and, and, and kind of say, well, who can I call and renegotiate things with, whether it's my rent, my mortgage, credit yeah. card, all those expenses call take action on those things yeah. and then get creative on how maybe you can ask for help i think that that's the biggest thing don't stay in a hole if you're in a hole right now like reach your hand out and and someone will grab you yeah. so if you need support ask yourself how you can add value somewhere um get creative with with maybe the way you can do things to to be able to get yourself out of the hole and, and keep moving forward good 
Good. So before we before we finish the podcast, I just want to ask you your best uh, financial book recommendation. You would you show me like fake uh, fake money, fake by fake by Zurich Kiyosaki. But do you have any any other books right now that you, you can recommend? Because right now it's a lot. Of, we have a lot of time to just read. And yeah, to self educate. Yes. Uh, yeah, I do. I think that this book. Um, sound, I sound, didn't purposely yeah. intend to have it right here. It's just yeah, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I, I look I like I was right. It's a stand-up to the financial service industry. Yes. And this is, it's a Canadian that wrote this book. So it's, it applies to, to our economy, right? Every, like the States will have their different rules and regulations. We have our different rules and regulations. So this one's really good because um, if you're looking for someone to, to be your financial advisor and to guide you in this space, I think that you need to do your homework, um, know, how to ask the right questions to make sure that you're finding the best person to support you. And I think that this book covers a lot of, of the, the loopholes in the industry that you should be watching yeah. out for. So that one's really important. Um, and then, yeah, I, I love everything Robert Kiyosaki. I think his perspective is really good. Yes. Warren Buffett would be like the other spectrum of investing than yeah. Robert would be. But I think that reading both and just getting a wide variety of different opinions and views on wealth creation is really good it stretches your mind and then you're kind of in a better place to to seek out the best route of of wealth creation for you yes um so those ones i kind of would i would start there yeah there also there was also a book about bankers how to understand them your banking something like that i don't remember the name but like you say like the stand up the understanding what your financial advisor does Yes. And there's also books about understanding how the banking and banking system works also. Yeah. Yes, all that. That's really important to just even having an idea economically speaking, like the government, the banks, yes. how that interrelates. I think just having, yeah, the education of how it all ties in together um, is really important to just build a financial foundation of knowledge for, for, for anybody. Good. Thank you so much, Matika. I really appreciate it. I hope the people that are listening and watching to the podcast uh, learn a lot and it's a good time like, like to take the time to learn and really educate yourself about finance because most, most people right now, maybe they're struggling, but um, there's always light and there's always good times that will come forward. So, yeah. Exactly. There yeah. is there's beautiful opportunities and it's really exciting to see what the future is going to look like from, from this point on. And yes. if anybody ever needs support, um, know they can reach out to me if they have any questions. And yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I really loved this. It, it was fun. We appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening until then. I greatly appreciate uh, if you can leave a review, a comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, that would be appreciated. This will help grow the podcast, and I hope you enjoy it, and see you on the next show.